0: FM for your Wednesday morning and that's right, Dr Andrew Corbett is in the studio. Life
1: Matters, we're discussing that this morning and it's a very good morning to you Andrew. And good morning you, Dave, thanks for that and yes, it's a beautiful time of year in Launceston at the moment. The weather's just absolutely gorgeous and before we get going, I'm just wanting to give a little bit of an update on some of the things that are happening around YFM. We've we've had a, a whole suite of new business sponsors come on board supporting what we're doing here and reaching out to families and those who need hope, who need encouragement, who need inspiration to face some of the challenges of life. And of course, that's what makes WayFM unique. So thank you to Toledo Furniture, makers of fine furniture, uh, stressless furniture. I may need one of their seats myself, I think. And also, we we do want to thank some of our our new and recent sponsors, we've got Neil Buckby Motors coming on board. Thank you to Neil Buckby Motors and, and GJ Gardner coming back on board. We appreciate your support enabling us to do what we do. And also Jessups, the Solar Squad, the guys who, if you're looking for solar to convert your house to solar electricity, have a look at our new sponsors, Jessops, who are now getting behind WayFM as well. Really appreciate your support to these business sponsors who enable us to do what we do including what we're doing right now and this is a part of adding inspiration hope and encouragement to people's lives also just want to remind people of our dinner coming up our thanksgiving dinner we'll have it'll be a fundraising dinner coming up friday november 13 if you'd like a, a free ticket to that give us a call 6334 0100. Tell Aileen that you're coming and we'll secure you a seat at that dinner. We'd love to see you there.
0: And Andrew, today we're talking about the art of changing someone's mind. Yeah, look,
1: we've all been on the recipient of this, Dave. We've we've had occasions when someone has persuaded us and we've changed our minds. I think for those macho type of guys and you want to, you, you perhaps are reluctant to admit that you've changed your mind. I've got a great terminology for you it's called having a paradigm shift and having a paradigm shift sounds so much more masculine than you know change my mind of course we you you may have heard the expression it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind and we we all will have to go through life changing our mind some of us will set ourselves up to make it very difficult some of us will will make it less difficult i'm i'm not sure that it's ever easy to significantly change your mind and some of the reasons why people and initially i thought perhaps for some people but i I really do think arguably this is all people or most people find it at times difficult to change their minds about things that they've long held to long believed uh long placed their confidence and trust in and some of those reasons include emotional reasons. You know, sometimes we become wedded to our ideas, our opinions. You know, uh, I grew up in a home where my, my parents voted for XYZ party. Uh, I started voting for XYZ party, but lately, uh, you know, I'm really finding the policies of XYZ really difficult. Well, there's emotional baggage there that makes it quite difficult for someone to change their mind about that. A- another reason people might really struggle to change their mind about uh, something that they hold dear are the social reasons in fact i'm going to give two out of the three examples um, a bit later of people who have had significant uh, changes of mind i'm going to talk about what actually happened how that happened and then this is this was the obstacle this one here is social reasons so social reasons where you're a part of a group, where you're a part perhaps of a family or a culture or even a nation, where it's it's socially acceptable to hold a particular view. For, For someone who's inculcated into that environment, changing your mind about things that the group holds dear is extremely difficult. And to, as I said, two out of the three examples that I'll, I'll give a bit later uh, illustrate that th- their change of mind actually took place after quite a process, but their preparedness to admit it took, in, in each case, took two years. It, it, it took them two years to be brave enough to admit in a social context that they had changed their mind and it cost them dearly and that was one of the reasons why they were reluctant to do it. For other people one of the resistances that they might have to changing their mind are intellectual reasons. They they think that the evidence is on their side therefore they're reluctant to change their mind. And in fact if you start to discuss with someone something where they've where they have what we might call a closed mind to a particular issue, you'll quickly discover this. You'll discover that for some people, what they, what they think is intellectual reasons for holding to a particular position or a, a point of view or a worldview, when they're confronted with evidence to the contrary, it becomes very difficult for them to initially accept it, grasp it, and and then welcome it so intellectual reasons can be part of the the framework why people might find something difficult uh to change their mind and then apart from the emotional reasons where you know we've people have already got skin in the game perhaps and they're wedded to an idea emotionally you know my parents held this idea my grandparents held this idea uh, social reasons you know if, if i change my mind I, the, the group will no longer accept me uh, this is a, a big big part in why people find it difficult to change their mind as i've just mentioned the intellectual reasons uh, for some people that is one of the reasons why they find it difficult to change their mind and here's here's the last one i'll, I'll just mention now and it's religious reasons sometimes we we have religious ideas that don't necessarily withstand rigor, and, and I put myself in that category as well. I, I want to be with my, my, my what I consider to be deep religious convictions, and of course I'm a, a pastor, so you would expect that I would have deep religious convictions, but sometimes we, we can hold these religious convictions quite irrationally. We're not necessarily having our convictions grounded in evidence or fact we've never really had people challenge our religious views and so when when someone does when someone challenges some of our d- most deeply held religious views it th- there's a, an automatic resistance to it and and i as much as anyone understand that and and i appreciate that so There's some of the reasons why people would find it difficult to change their mind. I think it's important to, if you're on a mission to help someone change their mind, it's important to understand each of those. And as we go through this, I want to talk about what what it will do uh, to help someone change their mind, give some examples of it, and then give some closing thoughts on this as well, Dave.
0: Just a reminder as well that you can listen to our discussion right now on our website, wayfm.org.au. This is DB Boulevard, another point of view, Way FM for your Wednesday. We're talking with Andrew Corbett as we do every Wednesday morning. And today, Andrew, you've introduced the art
1: of changing someone's mind. Yes, Dave. And that might sound like we're talking about how you can manipulate someone. And that's certainly not my intention here. I'm not trying to be tricky here. Really, we could, instead of saying changing someone's mind, we could say how to persuade someone. We could also say how to present your case in a, a reasonable fashion. It, it could be that we're, we're simply saying th- this is one of the aspects of conversation, because sometimes we confront people who have a different opinion to ours, and so, all too often it ends in conflict rather than in dialogue. And so these are some of the things that I think, will if we can learn, you know, some of the the facets of resistance we mention those that that sometimes people have deeply held emotional reasons why they won't change their mind sometimes people have social reasons why they won't change their mind sometimes they're intellectual and sometimes they're religious reasons as well so what is it that will best help someone to change their mind what th- these are the the qualities i think that someone who is in the best position to change their mind firstly they will be humble they they take a posture of humility now this is a, this i think our most natural tendency is to be defensive our most natural tendency is to kind of you know fold our arms across our chest dig our heels in and say no one's going to tell me what's right or wrong or what i can or can't do i think that's our most natural posture but when we take that posture, I think we're the worse for it. I think we miss out on so much of life and the richness of life, especially the richness of someone else's wisdom. So by taking a posture of humility, we, we are in a position where we are at least open to the idea that maybe we don't know everything. Maybe we don't have the the exclusive rights to what's right or wrong or the truth or whatever, but so uh, the person who is best able to change their mind is someone who who has a position a posture of humility. And if you if you're going to go about perhaps with a with the goal of changing someone else's mind, you have to make sure that you you have at least this posture yourself because that posture becomes a little bit contagious. If you've ever met a truly humble person. There's something quite admirable about them. Secondly, someone who understands what it is to reason, they're a a reasonable person. Their, Their ideas are not grounded simply in opinion. Their ideas are grounded in the weight of evidence or in the ability of someone to make their case and they're prepared to accept it. If the reasons are good enough, they will accept the case. They will accept the reasoning behind it. So Someone who is what we might call reasonable is in a better position to be able to change their mind. And finally, the the way someone is best positioned to change their mind, and therefore if you come from this posture yourself, you will have a, a, an increased ability or a, a opportunity or chance to change someone else's mind about something, is considerate. By being considerate, we mean that they're they're careful with the facts they're careful with the truth they're careful with the evidence and also they're not rash they don't rush into things they consider things they take time to make decisions and perhaps you've always been a Ford person and now you you recognize you know gee Subaru is actually a pretty good car or uh, as I did or uh, and I bought my car at our new station sponsor, Neil Buckbees. Uh, and that was a change of mind. So that takes being considerate as well. They're the things that help someone to be in a, a position to change their mind.
0: Just a reminder too that uh, donation to Wayfm fm is tax deductible and it does help us continue providing hope, inspiration and encouragement to thousands of listeners right across northern Tasmania. Let's head to the nine o'clock news update. The Bureau says fine and sunny today, top of 21, 19 and mostly fine, a little bit of cloud about tomorrow, sunny and 20 on Friday and looking like some rain over the weekend. Today on Way FM, we're discussing the art of changing someone's mind. I know it can be hard sometimes to
1: change someone's mind. So uh, yeah, we've got some great tips coming up here. Uh, yes, and we've, we've already seen that uh, there are reasons why people are reluctant to change their mind. And we've also just put down a few things on the table about what what puts someone in, I guess, the gives them the qualifications to make their case to someone because if you are someone who has changed your mind, you you exude some qualities that are a little bit contagious. Those qualities include humility, reasonableness, and consideration. So if you are someone who has those qualities... You are probably someone who has changed your mind and you are really in a, a really good position to be able to make your case so that someone will have a, at least give you an audience, at least give you a hearing, and you can present your case. It could be that you're a parent trying to make the case to your child, or your, your older child even, not to associate with certain people who you, you deem to be a bad influence. And yet, you know, oftentimes... Uh, kids get into those those teenage years and they kind of dig their heels in and what does mum and dad know anyway and you can just see it as plain as the nose on your face this can only go one way this can only lead to disaster and you are pleading with your child for them to change their mind about this perhaps you sense that they might be getting involved in a in a drug culture or a, a, a partying scene where it can only end badly and you might be able to, if you can come at it as a parent from that posture of humility, reasonableness and consideration, and and understand that the obstacles, the resistance to someone changing their mind, you're probably best positioned to at least get a hearing from your child. It was someone a long time ago who really thought this through. In fact, it was so long ago, it was over 2,000 years ago, nearly 2,500 years ago, Uh, closer to uh, 2,300 or so years ago, a fellow by the name of Aristotle. He thought through this issue of changing people's minds. He called it the art of persuasion. And he said, really, there's three things that you need if you are going to be someone who helps others to change their mind. And the three things that he mentioned were logos. Logos, of course, is where we get the word logic or Logical. It logos means reason, so it's your ability to give good reasons. So Aristotle said, if you want to be someone who persuades others, changes their mind, you have to be someone who is able to give good reasons, not just opinions. Good reasons, the reasonableness of your case. So that means that you've you, if you know, perhaps you're going in to sell something to a prospective client you want to make sure that you've got your facts. You know, why should they buy this car rather than that car? Why should they buy this from you and not from your competitor? Well, if you're going to persuade the customer to buy from you, you want to have your reasons in place. So that's that's the first one that Aristotle said. He said, you have to have this this thing called logos in your corner so that you can make your reasonable case. The second facet of persuasion changing someone's mind, Aristotle said, was ethos. Ethos is where we get the word ethical from that that thing that makes your case not only logical and reasonable, but it makes your case right. so you're you're coming from the grounds that you can show that your your case is is not just factual grounded in evidence. And you've got good reasons for it, but in fact, there's a moral imperative to it. There's there's almost a sense that that what the, what you're trying to do is to help someone to be ethical, to be right. So, for example, there you know there are certain businesses that will appeal to people's sense of ethics. Perhaps they are someone who feels deeply about the testing of animals for certain products. Well. There are certain businesses, certain companies that will make this case. They will make the case that their, perhaps beauty products, um, cosmetic products, whatever it is, uh, are not tested on animals. And for many people, that's a major selling point. Perhaps there are other facets to a business or a case that also have that, that ethical sort of overtone to it. So that's the second thing that Aristotle mentioned. And then the third thing was what he called pathos, which is heart emotion, heart emotion. So heart emotion, he said, is when you are able to connect, not just on a reasonable level, not just on an ethical level, but you're able to connect with someone heart to heart. You, you, you've got that emotional connection with them. Now, this is what we can observe. Someone could be very logical, not necessarily ethical, and certainly not with any heart connection to the person they're talking to. And while they may be logical, chances are they're not going to be persuasive because they don't have that heart connection with the person they're talking to. But let's flip that, shall we? Let's say someone is very close to someone. Someone has won their trust. Someone's won their confidence. They've got a heart connection with the person they're talking to. They are known. They are known as someone who cares. They are known as someone who understands, who is considerate. And perhaps they haven't got all their facts. Perhaps they haven't got all their reasons. They haven't got a real strong case for their position. The very fact that they have a heart connection with the person they're trying to persuade will get them over the line every time in persuasion. And and if you just think about this, the people that you care about and you know care about you, the people that you respect, the people that you you feel that you you have a closeness to, you are more inclined to want to listen to them and to be persuaded by them even though they may not have their footnotes or their you know they may not have brought the 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 research papers or anything like that. They may just come and pour out their heart, you know, you you and I both know, we're more inclined to be persuaded by them. So consider that today when you're making your case. It, it, it's a powerful case of persuasion, the ability to change someone's mind, if you are able to be logical, if you're able to be ethical about what you're saying, and if you have a heart connection. In other words, you demonstrate that you're concerned and you care about the person you're talking to.
0: It's Life Matters on WayFM. This is One Direction's Changing My Mind. The end wayfm for your wednesday morning this is life matters we're discussing the art of changing someone's mind and if you'd like to uh, actually listen to this discussion again you could download it all you need to do is go to our website wayfm.org.au and of course you can listen anytime online how fantastic is that and we'll be uploading the full thing a little bit later as well so listen out for that now andrew you've got a couple of more things you'd like to add to the art of changing someone's mind uh, you'd like
1: to finish with one of mm. those yes dave yeah, well i want to share just three examples as i mentioned right at the the top of this that there are there's three examples of people who've had significant changes of mind as i mentioned uh, another way of describing a change of mind is a paradigm shift and these these three people illustrate the the art that we're talking about understanding the obstacles understanding what it takes to make uh, or help someone to change their mind and positioning yourself as the agent of someone's change of mind or change of paradigm to have the best chance of being able to have that connection. Then I I just want to finish up with perhaps some suggestions to uh, those who have similar convictions to most of our our supporters here at WAFM, how we can do perhaps a better job as ambassadors in this world where we are seeking to help people change their minds. The first example of someone who's had a significant change of mind is a fellow by the name of Nabil Qureshi. If you google Nabil Qureshi, you'll soon discover that he was a a medical student in the United States and was on his way to becoming uh, a doctor, which he he did eventually graduate and become a medical doctor. but Nabil, Qureshi was, I believe, an Iranian immigrant. He may have been Iranian or Pakistani from that region of the world and came to America with his family. And perhaps the name gives it away that Nabil Qureshi had come from a staunchly Muslim background. In fact, a part of his upbringing was so entrenched that his identity was that he was a muslim and that was a part of the socializing aspect of his culture when he went to this university in america he had had some training from his mosque and those at the mosque on how to deal with what they call christians and of course we might refer to them as very nominal christians people who just pay lip service and and he was more than adequate in able to, able to to kind of rock the faith, upset the entire apple cart of many of these so-called uh, Christians that he met at uh, university on the campus there. And so he would, would jolt them with some of his uh, questions that he would ask about the reliability of uh, the Christian scriptures and and the identity of the person of uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and things like this. And most of the people had no idea how to respond, and their their faith was rocked. And he took great delight in this, showing that he was someone who had the exclusive truth, and that he was doing them a service, in trying to persuade them, and trying to help them change their mind. And all that was going really well, swimmingly along one day. And then uh, he met two college guys who knocked at his door and invited him to some christian university function and and he just started the drill with them too the problem was even though these guys weren't necessarily you know theologians or pastors or you know giants in in understanding some of the aspects of the bible they they were just average christians but they knew enough to know that there were actually good responses to some of the things that Nabil Qureshi was saying. And this actually started a, a dialogue between him and these two uh, university students in his dorm room over quite a period. In fact, it lasted, I, I understand, uh, at least three years or so of of them chatting and discussing these things and investigating the claims of Jesus of Nazareth. Eventually, after about five or six years, as they had been meeting fairly regularly, each of the major objections that Nabil Qureshi had had to Christianity were well and truly satisfied. Uh, they, they'd been well and truly counted, not just with opinion, not just with emotional responses, but with actual historical evidence, with textual evidence, things that were very, very difficult for Nabil. To dispute. So this eventually led to him coming to a complete change of mind. Now, I mentioned that one of the, the factors in th- that people have to deal with in their resistance to changing their mind is the social context. And for Nabil, that was, he says, the biggest issue. Because if he was to announce to his parents very devout Muslims that he was no longer a Muslim and that he had been persuaded by the arguments for Christianity it would have meant that he would would have been cut off from the family and this and he knew that and so it actually took him a a process of around about two years before he could actually muster the courage to even broach the subject with his parents when when he did he got he I, in one sense he got the reaction he expected but in another sense the reaction he got caught him off guard because it was such a, a strong emotional response to what he was now saying to his parents and they did indeed disown him from that point today nabil Qureshi is is associated with ravi Zacharias, whom we air here each Wednesday night at 8:30 on YFM, so you can hear Ravi Zacharias, and occasionally you'll hear uh, a message from Nabil as well, as he now gives the reasons for becoming a Christian. You can also YouTube his story as well, Nabil Qureshi. So that's one example. Another example is kind of similar, uh, except this was uh, also a, a very devout Muslim, probably, uh, arguably more skilled in what Islam involved. Uh, And this man's name was Abdu Murray. Abdu Murray was uh, uh, studying at, uh, I think, the University of Chicago to become a lawyer. He he did graduate from law school and went on to be voted the best lawyer in America, in the United States of America, uh, twice. So obviously a really, really sharp, guy and he was someone who also took great delight in talking with christians and using his very keen legal mind to show them why in his opinion christianity was was uh historically inaccurate it was uh, illogical and had some very faulty grounds upon which it, it built its case but then he met someone who actually counted each of those points with evidence, and being someone with a with a bit of a, a keen legal mind, he recognised the legal case they were making. Their discussions went on for seven years, seven years, and after seven years, uh, Abdu Murray says he was convinced that it, what he had previously believed was wrong, and that what he was now being presented with was correct this is what he says but then he faced exactly the same difficulty that Nabil Qureshi faced the social the social resistance the social obstacle because when he told his parents what uh, his change of mind his paradigm shift he too was utterly disowned by his family it cost him dearly and he knew that would happen and it took about two years for him to to own his his change of mind very, very difficult time for him. so I guess I, I give these examples just to highlight that when we're we're trying to persuade someone understand it's not just the strength of your case, it's not just you know whether you're factual or even whether you're ethical sometimes there's there's a huge uh pathos happening here there's a huge emotional thing that's got to be dealt with as well the th- the third example that i would i would sort of finish up with as far as my examples is professor anthony flew he died a few years back but he was someone who was a colleague of bertrand russell and was an extremely prominent atheist who wrote the humanist manifesto he debate debated uh uh well-known christians including uh the great greg habermas uh one of the finest apologists uh for christianity and eventually greek habermas who after these public debates would take professor anthony flew out for a meal and they would just chat and anthony, anthony flew was 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 persuaded largely because not only the the strength of the case that greek habermas can make and he makes a phenomenally strong case for the god of the bible and the case for christianity but the fact that he he walked the talk it made a huge impression on anthony flew and at least it got him to consider that maybe his strong atheist position could be challenged and indeed he did reconsider it and eventually he concluded that he had been wrong for all his life all his life he had he had been wrong and he decided that he would investigate Christianity a bit further and he ended up writing a book about this journey and the book is cleverly titled There Is No God but with the no crossed out in red ink to indicate that Professor Anthony Flew had had a pretty major a, a change of mind. Now this cost him dearly as well because he was one of the heroes of the atheist community and when he renounced atheism and embraced the essentially the god of the bible he copped a lot of flack just a lot of flack from people he was maligned uh, people said he's going he, he's going or gone senile he he was really really ridiculed and abused so we i think we need to consider this i want to i, I want to just finish up with just a couple of things that will help us as perhaps followers of Christ to make our case a bit better. Firstly, be honest, don't exaggerate your case. Be factual, be courteous and be polite. And also the things that I've talked about, I hope you've heard, be considerate and understanding. Do those things, even as parents or Christian casemakers, and you'll have a better chance of changing someone's mind.
0: There you go. Thank you very much, Dr. Andrew Corbett. We'll hear Andrew again tomorrow night at 8.30 with Finding Truth Matters. And, of course, we'll have this program uploaded onto our website, wayfm.org.au. We'll have that up there soon. And you could download it and listen to it again for free any time that you wish. Wayfm for your Wednesday. Good morning.